Welcome to the Loans On Demand podcast, the show where we flip the real estate status quo on its head and put loan officers into the driver's seat. We give you all the tools, strategies, resources, and mindset needed to modernize your mortgage business and thrive. And my name is Luke Shankula, aka Longform Luke, and this is the Loans On Demand podcast. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Loans On Demand podcast, the show where we help loan officers flip the status quo on real estate agents and put loan officers in the driver's seat. And I'm excited because today we have my friend, Sean Zabanoff. He is the founder of Next Level Loan Officers. He's an entrepreneur, 22-year veteran. He opened his own company, I think brokerage company, back in October of 2022 after running a large division for 13 years, been in the industry for a long time. Welcome to the show, man. I'm super excited. Thanks, Luke. I'm excited to be here and excited to deliver value to your guests today. Let's go. Let's go. All right, man. Well, give us a little background on who you are. I know you wanted me to say that you were super charming and an all-around great guy, so I'll throw uh, that That was right just going to come through in the podcast for everybody anyway. <laughs> Perfect, man. Go ahead and just give us a background, who you are, what kind of got you into the industry, and what keeps you here, man? Especially in this market, that's a pretty fun question to ask. I mean, it's just weird when the mortgage blood starts flowing through your veins, but in graduating college in the summer of zero zero and decided I wasn't ready to uh, go into the real world. So I stayed in Columbia, Missouri at Mizzou and just had fun for a while, traveled for a couple of summers. And then it was actually interesting. I became a professional job interviewer, which was very interesting for my family because nobody else in my family had graduated college before. And so they were like, aren't you going there to get a job? And I'm like, I went there to have fun actually, right. but got an education too. And somebody who came into the bar all the time, ended up recruiting me into the industry that I worked at and 9-11 happened. And oh. so it wasn't like trickle down economics, like the faucet was on economics. As you think about those late 90s, stock market was booming. Kids were spending lots of money giving it to me for their drinks. And then 9-11 happened, nobody spent money anymore. So after I interviewed for like 60 or 70 jobs, taking position with this guy. So I wanted to move out of Columbia. So moved back to St. Louis, bounced around to a few different places, opened up a mortgage brokerage company. I think 2005, the Great Recession happened in 2009. I joined another company as just a very small branch. And then for the next 13 years, grew that to seven offices in five different states and was managing around 70 people. Wow. And then just decided I needed to do something different for myself. So October 22, I opened up my own mortgage brokerage company. I hadn't originated loans in nine years. I missed helping people buy houses. I missed breaking bread with cool realtors. And I spent none of my time doing that anymore. And the industry's treated me very nicely. So I decided to do that. Along the way, I'd invested a lot in coaching. And there's a quite a few great mortgage coaching companies out there. We also know that there's some mortgage coaching companies out there that they don't necessarily have a loan officer's best interest in heart. Sure. Uh, so some guys that I'd met along the way, a little over six years ago, we decided we were going to open next level loan officers. So we created a company for loan officers, by loan officers. And, you know, just like you're moving the needle every single day and what you do, what your company does to help LOs without making 30 phone calls a day and without being like, hey, I'm great. And I close loans on time. You know, right. we decided to help people with the value proposition to give them an advantage in their market by just telling them the simple things that we do, you know, because mortgages aren't rocket science. If not. rocket science was as easy as mortgages, World War II would end differently and we would live in a different world right now. So right. like, it's just making things simple because 
although the industry is challenging at times, our jobs really are not that hard. Well, and to your point, I mean, they're a commodity, right? So loan officer, you're a bit of a commodity. And how do you shift out of that? And so I think that's one of the things we'll probably talk about a little bit today is that concept, because you, you know I know that's one of the things you guys talk about a lot with next level loan officers is how to create a value proposition, how to create an offer. Like how do you present to real estate agents, right? How do you bring that value to them? Because people talk about this all the time, bring value, bring value, bring value. But what does that mean, right? Crappy flyers, like that's what most people <laughs> think is value. You work for a big mortgage company, most of the time, your marketing department is going to give you a bunch of crappy flyers that do nothing, right? Like, yeah, you know what? You should have flyers, but that shouldn't be the pinnacle of what you rest your business on is flyers, right? Like that should be, okay, cool. Yeah, I have flyers as well, but here are the seven other things that I do that'll help you grow your business with their realtor. And if you don't have that, you It's know, funny. It's- I mean, that's one of the biggest thing that large mortgage banks recruit people on is, hey, come look at our amazing department. You can right. have your name and your realtor's name oh, cool marketing. on this open house flyer. And it works and some realtors fall into it and some realtors buy that and think that it's sure. great, but it's actually not creating any value for your realtor partner. And it's not creating any value for the consumer. You were mentioning something that I do that you'd saw a couple of years back. Sure. One of my biggest value pitches to a realtor is my realtor partners who work with me work about 30% less time to show buyers houses before they get them under contract. So when I'm talking to a realtor, hey, if I can make you 30% more money working the same amount of hours, keeping more buyers in your car because you can get them close quicker, or you could work 30% less time, have more time for your family, more time to travel, more time just you know for yourself to do what you want to do so you don't get burnout in this industry, would that be of value to you? So you know, if you're a loan officer thinking about this right now, like think about what you say to a realtor. You were talking earlier, like marketing's all about the pitch and in your world, that's what every group talks about. Yet right. in the mortgage world, it's, hey, I'm fast. I close on time. I've got good rates and good products. Right, 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 right. And I answer my phone. It's always yeah. the one that people love to brag. I answer my phone 24-7. I'm like, do you really want to like broadcast that you have no boundaries and you know, you're going to get taken advantage of? I don't know. But hey, people love to brag about it, right? You know, I specifically tell my realtors that don't answer my phone 24 right. seven. Last night, somebody was messaging me at six o'clock last night and I got back to him and was like, hey, listen, I got an evening with both of my boys tonight and just want to let you know I got your message and I'm free to connect tomorrow morning. He's and that saying, works. Great, yeah. And frankly, if that doesn't work, they're not a fit. The cool thing right. about the mortgage world is there's a lot of realtors out there, a lot of loan officers out there too, but a lot of people who need houses. You know, mm-hmm. we're not in such a small industry where there's so few transactions that go on a month and a year like that you have to jump at everyone. And in industries where there are a few transactions, you know, people are specialized and they're really good at their job and they also don't work 24 seven. Right. I tell my team, but you know, it's, it's this concept that we don't run in an emergency room, right? Like no one's going to die if it takes 24 hours, right? Like, and of course there's exceptions to that rule. Like, Hey, you know what? Like for whatever reason, someone needs something late at night or whatever. But in my opinion, if that's happening regularly, that is just someone who doesn't know how to manage their time or has their own boundaries, right? And obviously, the other thing, too, is, you know, sometimes as a law officer, you may have to work weekends or you may have to be available at least to answer texts and things like that on the weekends. But, you know, I still think there's a way to craft your business where you don't have to. Again, it's up to you. At the end of the day, as a loan officer, you get to determine what you want. And I think so many times we get sucked into what we think needs to happen, including myself. And I was telling Sean before we jumped on here, like I created a business for myself that from an external perspective looked super successful and all that stuff, but I was burnt out. I hated it. Showed up every day, like dreading coming to the office, dreading doing anything. Like it was just like, this is terrible. I, what am I doing every day? I'm super hyper stressed. 
Like, I hate what I'm doing. And yet, from the external perspective, you know, everything looked great, right? But it, it sucks. always looks great from that external right. perspective. Right. You know, one of the things, though, the working nights and weekends, like, there is sometimes I do take a phone call at 7 o'clock. There is right. sometimes that, you know, I will take a phone call if I have time on a Saturday or Sunday or an agent that I do 15 deals a year right. with says, hey, you know what? Like, I don't ever do this, but I need you to talk to this person because, you know what? Like, that could be three, four $8,000 in commission for me taking a 20 minute phone call. So just in case you're listening, I'm not saying that I never work, but I right. do set those very clear boundaries in place. We teased about my value proposition. We yeah. should tell people about it at some point here too. Before we get to that, like, again, this industry has almost put on a pedestal, this idea of reactivity, but like you look at any productivity books, like, and reactivity is like the worst way to be productive. So you're actually accomplishing less by being reactive to every single thing that people need. If they text you, you're answering the text. If they call you, and it's cool, like some people like, that's the thing they stand on. Like I answer immediately. Cool. But like how much more business do you think you might actually get if you could be effectively prospecting during those times, or if you could be effectively working files during those times, or if you could be effectively, you know, whatever it is that you're doing. So yeah, let's talk about that. Offers, let's talk about value propositions, right? Like so many loan officers present to real estate agents. And one of the things that we do now is we're actually helping loan officers book 10 appointments a month with realtors. So personally, I thought, hey, loan officers know how to talk to real estate agents, right? That's how they all get their business. Man, I was shocked to find out how poorly most loan officers are at pitching real estate agents, right? Maybe they've gotten all their business just by becoming friends with them over long periods of time. But when it comes to like a direct pitch to someone they don't know, it's just terrible. They don't know what their value proposition is. They don't know how to have a discovery period. They don't know how to ask the right questions. You know, it's like, they're just groveling for the business. It's like, well, yeah, of course it's not going to work. Yeah, eventually you're going to find someone. But what I liked is, you know, I was watching a training that you did a while back and you had talked about one of your guarantees that you have. And I think this was really kind of at the peak of 2020, 21, where like super crazy competition, right? But I still think it, even in this market, you can craft guarantees and offers that'll make you stand out or make your offer stand out from everybody else. So let's talk about that, man. How do you, one, pitch real estate agents? What are the things that you do that are different from everybody else? So the guarantee still works amazing today. And I would tell you it actually works better today because I'm not competing with eight offers offering 50 or $100,000 over. Right, right, um, right, right. One of the things that I just started doing last year was these realtor mastermind luncheons. Now, we, I've talked about this a ton in Next Level. I'm sorry, some of y'all are going to have to join me there to find out more about it. But it's the single best thing I'm doing to get new realtors right now on a broader scale on the one to many or one to 15 or 20. But this guarantee is something that I've been doing for it's either six or seven years. And so, again, I've only been originating again for a year and a half, but I developed this for my team of loan officers. And so the entire region I was doing this for. So this is thousands of loans that have closed in the last six or seven years that I've put this guarantee behind and just I've paid zero dollars out on this guarantee. And it's my five thousand dollar seller guarantee. I'm so confident when my team looks at a file. So when my processors and underwriters have reviewed a file and gotten everything from borrowers, I put my money where my mouth is. And if they fall into my bucket, they don't just get a regular pre-approval. And as I'm walking a client through this process, or as I'm walking a realtor through this process, I talk about pre-qualifications, pre-approvals, and where I take my pre-approval to. And this is with a $5,000 seller guarantee. So after we've done all our stuff, if a client commits to working with me, yes, 
I know that they cannot commit to working with me until the intent to proceed is signed and all of that. But there's something powerful in a verbal commitment. They could sure. always say no. But once they do that, I'll put $5,000 behind their pre-approval. Not only do I put the money behind their pre-approval, I present financing to the listing agents on the pre-approval. I send a video on that pre-approval that the buyer gets, the realtor, or the buyer's agent gets, and the listing agent gets. Mm. So they'll share it with their potential buyers of another house that may reach out to me wanting the same thing as well too. Sure. And then I use that to market to that listing agent throughout the entire transaction. And so when I'm telling a realtor, listen, you're going to show a third less houses. You're going to have these people in your car for less time. I make that happen every single week by getting offers accepted ahead of others. And in this market, you know, now that there's sometimes just one, but typically just a couple multiple offer situation, instead of 20 multiple offers, it works better because I get people under contract even quicker right nice. now, which only makes those realtors love me more, which I have new agents and agents that I work with that come to our realtor mastermind luncheons. And so then I've got a big group of people saying very nice things about me to some other realtors that I want to work with that don't know me as well. And I will tell you one thing. I have loan officers tell me all the time I treat all realtors the same. Listen, this world is not a fair place. And if you treat all realtors the same, you are doing it wrong. I'm going to tell you this again, because you need to hear this. If you treat every realtor the same, you're doing it wrong. Like I don't ever call a realtor without looking up their production. So you're not doing that. And if you have a service too, that you can look up who they're working with as well. I mean, I know that too, because I'm going to tell them I know who they're working with, because then they're like, oh my God, how does he know that? Because a realtor who has the potential to give me 10 to 30 transactions a year, or a realtor who does two, I mean, I'm going to do the same things for the buyer, but I'm not going to do the same things for the realtor. And I'm not going to market to the realtor the same way, because it's just not worth my time. I need a realtor who's going to give me a deal every month. Or right. if they don't, I'll still take their business. I would love to work with them. I'm just not going to go after it in the same way. Yeah, well, that totally makes sense. I mean, you got to think about the energy that you're expending on people that maybe or may or may not, you know, give you a deal. And, you know, that doesn't mean that you don't, like you said, take their business or it doesn't mean that you can't help them. But it does make sense to focus on people. And that's one of the things we do too, is, you know, we focus on people. There's services like that. Like right now we're using MMI, but I know there's several others. I think what's the other one that you use? I think you use a different one, right? I've used MMI, RETR is yeah. another one. I mean, I happen to have access to the MLS. So just right. quick production because the MLS is always accurate for everything right. yeah. listed. And so that gives me up to the date. Like if they closed a transaction yesterday, I can see that information inside of there as well, too. Sure. And the MLS is usually actually the spot I go to first. You know, again, I've been in St. Louis most of my life, except for college. So there's 10,000 agents or there's probably 7,500 agents now. Right. But like of those, you know, we know 10% doing the business. So, right, so right. I, I do happen to know a lot of them. That totally makes sense. And that's brilliant. I mean, and one, and one thing I'll say is I've seen Sean's pre-approval letter and it's beautiful, right? Like I'm inside the Next Level Loan Officers community and, you know, they have the free community, which you know, super valuable. And then they also have a, I think a fairly inexpensive pro version as well, right? Yeah. So, you know, it's not super inaccessible for anybody who is listening to this that wants to figure out kind of some of the things that Sean and other, you know, high profile loan officers are doing that are doing real well. But man, I've seen that and it's beautiful, man. It's got everything you need on there. Plus the 5,000 guarantee, which I think is huge. 
value too. So let's talk a little bit about those luncheons, man. Like, what does that sort of look like? How are you structuring those, man? It sounds like a pretty interesting approach to business is doing these sort of luncheons. You know, you can get agents to show up to meet other realtors that you can't get to show up to meet you, no matter Mm. how cool you are, no matter how charming you are. And if you invite them the correct way, and if you provide value during that invitation, then you get people to show up. You do it at nice restaurants. Sure. You make it a mastermind. So you're sharing knowledge. You know, you're not thanking people for any past business that they would have provided to you. And so I'm not a compliance guy, but in all those boxes, that's the right thing. What I do can't give you guys all my secrets because some of you are going to have to join next level to figure it out. But one of the things that it does involve and that I do just do in general, I'm going to show you guys here. So before people didn't use wedding envelopes anymore. So I'm showing you guys what like my thank you, what my stationery looks like. So I've got a really fancy envelope that has my logo on the inside and it's got some blue foil that happens to be the foil color of my company. And I got the thickest stationery that you can buy in a half of it, eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper that you can put inside of it as well too. So I can send people very nice handwritten notes. They're short, they're sweet, but they're incredibly effective. And I think based on our current political climate, no matter what your beliefs are, we would I'll take George Bush Sr. to be president again. And (laughs) so one of the things that the original GW told everybody is that he was elected president because he wrote five handwritten notes a day. And I'm not trying to be president, y'all, but if a respected individual back when presidents used to actually care about the country, it's good enough for him. Like, it's good enough for me. So don't ever underestimate the power of the handwritten note. And no, you don't have to have this fancy stationery, although it's nice. You know, you can get a couple hundred cards delivered to your door tomorrow on Amazon for probably like 20 or 30 bucks and start writing cards. Or you could spend a couple hundred bucks. And for almost from the beginning, I've created swag, right? Like I've had my own sort of branded swag. And I've always been adamant about highest possible quality because like I want something that someone can wear that they're actually going to want to wear, right? Not something that like, cool, it's got my logo on it, but I'm never going to wear it because it's a crappy like $5 shirt. It looks bad. It fits weird. Like, so in my opinion, that's the same sort of thing here. It's like, yeah, sure. You could go cheap and spend 20 bucks or you could spend 200 bucks and making a, what's called an impression, right? And so I think, you know, even handwritten though, you're right, handwritten. If you write a handwritten note, it doesn't matter how fancy the paper is. You're probably still gonna make an impression because we're in the day and age of AI and automation and all these things. So people are trying to automate everything. The amount of times that I hear people saying like, well, I just want to like an automated way to get a couple more loans a month. Like that doesn't exist. Stop, yeah. like stop trying to automate getting loans. Like you do, sometimes you, you automate yourself out of the industry. Well, exactly. What is the purpose of having a loan officer if we could automate you to get two or three more loans? Why wouldn't a robot be able to do that? You know, they just have some LOA that just, all right, boom, you know, you get paid 20 bips. You're just going to get a flow of automated loan applications coming in and just, hey, you go structure the loan real quick. I mean, you want your job, like you don't want your job to be like that because, you know, you all of a sudden you're going to start getting paid a lot less. But, you know, having the personal touches, I talk about the birthday videos as well. And doing these sort of personalized touches on social media. So many people go and they'll do like happy birthday, or they'll HBD on like your wall. 
like probably five people sent me a video on my birthday. And I was like, those are the five people that I remember who they were, right? Everybody else, I'm like, I don't even know who they are. The five people that did it, I'm like, I remember that person, I remember that person, I remember that person. I remember the guy that played a guitar and actually said my name. I was like, dude, this is sick, right? Like, I mean, that's the type of stuff that's going to make you stand out from everybody else. Yeah, I do send a little birthday message. I haven't gotten to the video. I used to send a video with my kids every year on birthdays. I've gotten to the message, but like, it's amazing the amount of responses that I do get back from sending somebody a personalized message. Yeah, even that's better than just putting it on the wall. Because again, I mean, it's like, you're taking the time to actually do something. And man, if you're gonna do anything, at least don't just put HBD on someone's wall. Like that's probably like the worst thing you could possibly do. That actually hurts, in my opinion, it actually hurts your reputation by just putting HBD. Cause like you didn't try it all. Well, after somebody's got a few thousand followers, man, like you're not even looking at your birthday. It's like, wow, a couple hundred people wrote on my wall. Yeah. A couple hundred people that I haven't talked to ever wrote on my wall. I use it for business. All right. So a lot of people on here, I'm like, some people like writing. I'm like, dude, I don't even know who you are, man. Oh, perfect opportunity to unfriend you. Like, I don't want you on here anymore. That's pretty funny, man. You know, the birthday um, messages are actually the best way to clean up your Facebook database. Yeah. Because as you're going through, you're going to be like, oh, never going to talk to this person again. Boop. Well, you might have changed, right? Like for me, like, you know, I used to work with other industries and things like that too early on. And now I work only with loan officers, right? And so like I have real estate agents and I have other marketers that I've never talked to. I'm like, why am I friends with these people? So I do use that a lot to just remove people. Or I'll see someone on my feed. I'm like, I click on their profile. I'm like, oh, these are people that I'm not interested in even connecting with anymore. And so it's an interesting opportunity. But we've talked about a lot of different things today. You know, obviously, we've talked about having, you know, these little sessions with people, inviting people to your networking events or whatever. You don't call them networking events. Nobody actually wants to a networking event. Yeah. But it's the same thing, right? But it's like one thing we sort of shifted from too is like, we used to be like, oh yeah, we got these trainings. For whatever reason, people hate the word training. So it's like masterminds or onboarding or, you know, like things like that, like just changing words. Any other strategies, tactics, things that you're doing that are working right now in this market? My mastermind luncheons are called the table. And oh, nice. Everybody wants a seat at the table. Yeah, of so course. That's why we brand them that way. I mean, there's a lot that we do. It's just loans are pretty simple. I mean, the industry just isn't that hard. Like I'm super consistent. Like, you know, we talk about, oh, you can't talk about rates. Like, listen, if you work at a bank, if you work at a retail company, if you work at a brokerage company, if you own a bank, a retail company or brokerage company, you know what? Like your rate is your rate and consumers care about rate. So like if you aren't talking about your rate early on, you're missing out because you have to make sure that it's a fit. You've got to go through an intake process with clients. You got to go through an intake process with realtors. Like this realtor might do $50 million a year. They might not have a life. They might answer their phone at three in the morning and be responding. They might expect you to do the same thing right, too. Right, so like right. you've got to make sure that you work with the right people. I mean, we go through that on the front end. We talk about rates up front. Like, it's not the loan business that it was 22 years ago when I started. Like Google existed then. A lot of people still didn't use it or exactly know what it was. Like amount of information that we have at our fingertips is immense. Like really understanding your craft. Like if you're going to do a particular product, know the freaking product. Like, you know, because the consumer coming to you has Googled that thing and Unfortunately, great majority of our industry now, we'll see how much of it got cleansed when the final renewal numbers come out for this year. But hear it over and over again when people call me and they're like, they'll start to ask me questions and I'll be like, well, 
you know, answered the questions and be like, oh man, I just called two other people and neither of them actually knew that answer. One of the other things that I'll tell you guys, Google reviews. Hands down, it's my number one, two, and three referral source. No way. Yeah. Google Mortgage St. Louis right now. I was literally about to search your name. Let me uh, do, no, no, uh, Google Mortgage St. Louis instead. Mortgage. That's even better because, you know, your name obviously should show up because, you know, you should rank for your own name. Better rate mortgage, mortgage lender. Is that yep. you? 307 reviews, 4.9? Yeah. And it's actually probably better that you're 4.9 instead of 5 because... I, I, um, it is. I got a couple people that when you get in my marketing machine, it's kind of hard to get out. And so they had complaints <laughs> about that. 99% sure it was another mortgage dude came to my office. I used to have it that I was open 24 hours a day because no. like oh. we were, because you could always fill out an app online. And they were like, I came to the office at seven in the morning on Sunday and they weren't here. So if your Google search says you're 24 hours and if you decide to show up for kicks to test the fact your lights better be on. Oh yeah. my gosh. But again, like people read those kind of reviews and they're just like, whatever, that guy. So you know, the best day to get a review is 20 years ago. The second best day is today. And right. so that is definitely something I would encourage everybody to do because Google has a lot of trust built into it. And, you know, when people are looking for loans that they find me this way, and it's not quite the same as a warm realtor handoff, but it's almost up there in how people feel. They call me and start filling out my lead forms and everything from it. Man, that's brilliant, man. So usually you're one, two, and three. So you're getting a considerable amount of business from that. I am. And well over half of those people don't have a realtor. Well, that's what I was going to get at next. Well, we talk about this all the time is flipping the status quo, right? And we talk about, hey, if you can generate your own leads, I'm agnostic with how you generate the leads. If you can yeah. get generate the leads from financial planners, from attorneys, from your sphere of influence, from your own content, from Google My Business, from running ads, from, you know, whatever, I don't care. But you need to go direct to consumer, generate your own leads so you can have leverage over, not leverage over, like, it's not like I want you to be better than realtors. I just want you to be on an even playing field, right, as loan officers, because most of the time it's been real estate agents are at the top and loan officers are here begging for business. And the amount of loan officers are like, well, people don't go to the loan officer for business. I'm like, people don't go to the loan officer to get a loan because you don't market to the freaking people. Who markets to the consumer? Real estate agents. Yeah, of course. Is the real estate transaction sexier? Is actually the house the part that they want? Sure. But like everybody knows they need to get a mortgage to get a house. Yeah, they just don't realize that that's the first step. Right. And then, you know, you can also do that through social media. You can do that through the reels and you're putting yep. out as well too. Yep. Hey, people, hey, listen, like, you know, I can do a loan anywhere in Missouri or Illinois or wherever, you know, you might have to be licensed in. You need to talk to me first because you're not going to have the same realtor represent you in St. Louis that you would in Kansas City, but for your loan, it's irrelevant. And so making consumers understand that fact really elevates your game and what you can bring to the table. Yeah, man, that's fantastic. And curious to hear this a lot, but like so many people are still stuck in this sort of transactional mindset and there's like today business and, you know, and I don't know if you have any good systems, whatever, for past databases, but I feel like so many people are missing out on so much opportunity with not working databases, right? Like, and I just got to go back to this podcast I did with William LeBaron with MonitorBase. He talked about 19%. Retention is 19%. So the average consumer does four transactions in 11 years. So not the average consumer, the average home buyer, four transactions in 11 years. Two purchases and two refis in between that time. So basically one purchase and then 11 years later, a lot of times we'll buy another house, right? Four transactions. Most loan officers are getting one of those transactions and losing the other three. You know, it sounds like you do a lot of marketing automation, things like that, because this person here said, oh, you're mailing them too much. So you know, <laughs> that's a perfect one-star review. 
hey, you know what? You're following up too hard, man. I don't know. Yeah, it's the best compliment you can get. Just like when somebody tells you during your process, I mean, you're sending me a text and email, and, you know, somebody's calling me as well too. It's like, hey, listen, the number one complaint we have in our industry is communication. So if you want me to communicate less, I can, but I'd hate for you to miss out on something. And every single person, every single one of them after I tell it to them that way, says, no, it's cool. I was like, why don't we communicate you this much during the transaction? They get emails of value from me. I was talking earlier about some stoic philosophy and I'm super into it. And so like I record random videos about my thoughts on things or great quotes. Like one I sent to my entire database on January 1st, Epictetus said that if we spend all of our lives focusing on the things we can control, we have no time left to focus on the things we can't control. And it's the single greatest thing that I read in all of last year. So, you know, I shared that with people. I got a lot of really good responses from it. I'll talk sometimes about events happening. I'll give market updates. I use HomeBot. I'm not partial to them. I know there's HomeIQ out there. HomeBot's been around longer. And so I've been using it. I get a lot of people click on those emails. So, you know, that's something that's automated and stays in front. And then we do an event or two a year where we'll rent out a movie theater or get a low grade minor league sports team where we can buy a bunch of seats to something and get cheap hot dogs and sodas where like I can be all in it like 10 bucks instead of $110 per head, right? Per head. Yeah. And, I was like and, 10 bucks, man. That's yeah. that's some pretty cheap hot dogs, bro. Yeah, if I'm taking somebody to a Cardinals game, it gets to be a lot more expensive. Oh, now, if I take them to a minor league football game, then it's easier to communicate. Nobody really cares about the right. game. So you can talk and walk around more, actually have more impact that way as well, too. Sure, sure, yeah. sure. Well, and it's fun. I mean, you know, it gets it's an outing, probably family and things like that. So that's awesome, man. We were talking about, you know, the daily stoic and things like that. So just to kind of, close things out, right? Like mindset, especially over the last 18, 24 months, however long it's been this crazy. It's going almost on 24 months now at this point, but how much does mindset play into this business? I already know, but you know, just kind of, I want to hear your perspective on that. And how do you sort of protect that mindset to ensure that you're, you know, showing up in the right way? Uh, So I read every day. I'm always listening to an audio book and whether it's a daily stoic or some other short read as well, I am doing something to move the needle in between my years on a daily basis. Like it's not just the mortgage industry and those things that drag you down. I've got young kids. I have other events that have happened in my life. I mean, you know, blessed to be one of the 4% of the people in the world who was born in the United States, but I still have my own set of problems. And if I don't keep that act sharp on a daily basis, it gets dull and then that trickles down to everything else. So I make sure and actually physically read something every single day and almost every day I journal and I try to journal twice a day, a little bit in the morning about my thoughts. And then again, pick this up from one of the Stoics. At the end of the day, I just reflect on my day. What did I do well? What didn't I do well? I hold myself accountable. So tomorrow I move the needle. Like, you know, it's not about being perfect because I don't think that exists. But if every day I wake up and say, did I do something to attempt to be better than yesterday? I've got a temper. I sometimes yell at my kids. They're ninjas and crazy and out of control. And I wish I never did yell at them. But then I go 10 or 15 days where 
I don't lose my shit too bad. And like, <laughs> that's a really big win for me personally. Right. And when I don't do that, then like that actually makes my work day better. It makes my interactions with people better because, you know, I mean, most of us, they're just regular old humans and we beat ourselves up and we're pretty damn hard on ourselves yep. all the time. And so that little bit of reflection Plus a read every morning. Like there's actually a really good Buddhist book. That's a one page a day read out there too. John Maxwell has a really good book that quotes a Bible verse every day. And it doesn't matter what religion you are, like it's good stuff. And what he quotes inside of there as well too. That's a really good read. I just think when you can actually take small bits of data or of information and absorb it. One of the things that I'm doing this year, I used to be like a big book summary guy and I'd listen to all of this stuff, and it all just became white noise, something I'd listen yeah. to today, and I ended up listening to seven books in a week, and I didn't remember any of it. So right. one of my focuses is going much deeper in actually absorbing the material that I'm consuming versus just consuming and not remembering it in a week from now. I feel you on that one because I was the same. I was like reading all these books and you see people all the time like, man, I'm going to read 52 books this year. You're like, how much of those 52 books are you actually going to remember? Right. Yeah. Because like, I mean, I was reading a lot, a lot, a lot of books and I realized like, man, like cool. But like, I don't remember anything that I read. I didn't apply anything from it because I'm just moving from thing to thing to thing. So I really just try to spend as much time, you know, reviewing these versus just reading to read. Right. And, you know, maybe I'm off there, but almost uh, everything on my list this year, Luke, is something I've read before. Yeah. Rereads. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and the other thing too about that is rereading books is powerful too, because you think about like who you were five years ago is different than who you are today. So the applications of the principles in a lot of these books are going to change based off of where you are today versus where you were there five years ago. So that's Amen. an interesting concept to think about as well, right? Like, I mean, I should probably go back, but one of my favorite books that I read early on in my entrepreneur career was Psycho-Cybernetics. It was a Maxwell Maltz book about basically mindset, right? Around how you can, you know, change your life based off of, you know, just sort of shifting the way you think, right? And I don't know if you've read that book, but for anybody who hasn't read the book, ultimately Maxwell Maltz was a mindset pioneers, but he was a plastic surgeon. And so he kind of came up with this concept of like, hey, like a lot of these people would go and get their nose fixed or they'd get their face fixed, like, and they would come out and they still think they look bad, right? It looked perfect, but they think they look bad. And so he started testing like these ideas around, hey, you know what, instead of getting the surgery, how about you do these sort of affirmations or, you know, you just talk to yourself differently for the next two weeks or six weeks, or I don't know exactly the numbers, I can't remember, but you know, for a certain period of time, do these exercises and then come back and let me know if you still wanna do the surgery. And so it was just wild to see like how much, you know, the way you viewed yourself and from a mental perspective, mattered. And so from anybody who's listening to this, that maybe is struggling or has, you know, mental issues and, you know, things like that, that are like struggling with their mental health from someone who has ADHD, I think I'm OCD. I know I have massive mental ups and downs, you know, having a morning routine has been pivotal. Having a physical routine is pivotal. Like all those things are super important, especially in what I would call a high stress environment, like sales. So, I mean, ultimately we're in sales, mortgage industry on my side, like sales and entrepreneurship is not the easiest thing to do from a stress level perspective. Yeah. If you're never depressed and you're never stressed and you don't ever have anxiety about things, like I want to hire you as my coach because like, I don't know how it's possible right. to live in the world that we live in and do the jobs that we do and not have those things. Like, you know, you're not alone. Every person on the planet goes through it some of people to more extremes and some of us have just taught ourselves skills to deal with it 
differently and look at yeah. things more positively. And that psycho cybernetics book, that was like super big when I was in college. Uh, oh, no way. Okay. People were passing that around. That's actually something I think I should add to the list for this year. I know, man. I need to bring that back because I think I've read it yeah. twice, kind of like towards the beginning. Probably I think 2018, I read that book. And then I think I read it again in 2019, but it's been four or five years since I read it. So I'm going to put that back on the list as well because it's a massive, massively important book. And for anybody who's listening, like, you know, mindset's huge. Sean, thank you so much for your time today, man. It's been a pleasure. I like to leave it with one tangible thing that people can take and implement. Is there one strategy tactic that's working today or that you would recommend a loan officer to go out today and implement to go get business? First, got to make a plug. If you need more help with this, go to becomenl.com and let us help you inside of Next Level. But if you're really confident in your process and you can copy my guarantee that I provide, you can win and have a value proposition. And if you don't write handwritten notes to people, start writing some. I mean, right. if you don't have enough business right now, you can write a handwritten note. You probably have time to write 10 or 20 today. Right. Go take action. There's something called Flamingo Syndrome. The thing I coined because somebody Googled it and it's not what this is, but get your head out of the sand. Like, you know, if you sure. don't take action, like Luke, you were talking about, I just want to automate myself. So like you do, you're going to automate yourself out of the business. There's loans that can close right now without a human touching them. When Fannie and Freddie start buying these loans, like everything's going to be a little bit different in our world. So be careful what you wish for, but you need to take action. Something we call inside of next level, we call them actions that matter. Figure out three or four things that you were going to do every week. Do it for a season, which in my world is 90 days. Make that ingrained, make that part of you. You're able to really decide on whether or not those things work for you. 90 days is a long enough time to figure it out and not too long that if it doesn't work, you can't go replace it with someone else afterwards. I love it. Given the plug, but if someone wanted to connect with you online or, you know, again, maybe you wanted to drop the next level loan officers again, what is the best way to find you guys online? BecomeNL.com. Just go to BecomeNL.com. And then, you know, I'm Sean Zalmanoff. And so you can connect with me. Any social media platform, Facebook is definitely where I'm the most active. Yeah, me too. Facebook. Uh, I guess the old people are on Facebook because, mm. you know, I don't know. The other ones feel, feel weird. <laughs> exactly right i got four kids man I, I by default i'm old now so you know thank you so much for your time today yeah for me i mean like you know some good takeaways from the episode today but i think the main thing for loan officers to understand is you're a commodity right if you show up the way that everybody else is showing up you're a commodity so how do you change the way you show up as a commodity is you have to become different we didn't talk about it today but a lot of times i talk about the difference between a new opportunity offer and an improvement offer an improvement offer means you're making like, hey, they close in 21 days, I can close in 20. Oh, they have, you know, this rate, I can be an eighth better, right? Like, it's so much harder to sell someone on that than it is to say, hey, I have this guarantee and I have this guarantee and I can close this and I can do that. Now, all of a sudden, you have five or six things that make you different from everybody else. So, you know, when we talk about the guarantee, come up with your own guarantees, right? Maybe you can't do the 5,000 guarantee. Maybe you don't know. Like, you have to have the systems behind it. You have to make sure that you are actually, you know, crafting your pre-approvals and things like that in a way that doesn't, you know, get you into hot water where you do have to pay that $5,000 out. Clearly you have good systems on the back end that support that guarantee. So make sure that the guarantees you're crafting are guarantees that you can fulfill on. If for whatever reason, something falls through the crack, just make it so you never have to fulfill the guarantee, right? Create systems that allow you to do that. So man, thank you so much for your time today. 
what a fantastic podcast. And for anybody who is looking for some help on flipping the status quo on real estate agents, go to flipthestatusquo.com. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day. Thank you for tuning into the Loans On Demand podcast on loansondemandpodcast.com. 